I wish I could say that I had a short message today, but uh, it's not necessarily a short one. <laughs> so uh, please um, settle in here for the, I just couldn't stop thinking about this topic. Uh, yesterday was Independence Day in the United States, but maybe not as many people celebrated it this year as they did last year. And we wonder why this is. Well, you know, a lot of it is virus related, but mainly it's due to social unrest. Um, the lingering effect of slavery and the treatment of native peoples in our country. Stories of injustice are flooding our world. And thank God for the, the, the cell phone and the video recording capability because we've, things have been exposed that have been long been hidden. Uh, there's long-term pain and suffering of minority groups, and they're finally being felt by others. Our nation was founded with the goal to form a more perfect union. And now we realize it's not perfect yet. There are many benefits and privileges and freedoms for which we are very, very glad. But can everyone enjoy them? I've got this question rattling around in my brain and I've been searching to find the right answer to it. Uh, and the question is this, Lord, how would you have me work toward healing our land? Preparing this message has forced me to come to grips with people's experiences, unlike my own. Although in my decades on the earth, I have been impacted by many, many of these same events. And if I wind up offending someone today, please enlighten and forgive me. Help me grow. And Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on all of us. So there's a toss-up question here at the beginning. Toss-up question number one. What does the Bible say about racism? Racism treats people unfairly based on the belief that they are inferior to you or that you are superior to them. It's different than prejudice. Prejudice is a negative belief or attitude towards a person based on their association with a group. It's, it's painting broadly with a negative bias. And racism uses skin color for sinful partiality. In racist cultures, it combines superiority and power into a, a system that um, oppresses. Sometimes it's invisible to those that are not being oppressed. Sometimes it is visible. But the Bible doesn't speak about race necessarily because there's only one race, the human race. But it does speak a great deal about how we are relate to one another. The Bible considers Africans and Asians and Caucasians and Indians and Arabs and native peoples on every continent not to be various races. Rather, the Bible sees them as tribes and, and nations, different cultures of the same human race. In fact, or let's think about it, God fashioned ethnic differences by confusing the language at the Tower of Babel and forcing mankind to separate and to fill the earth. As they did so, you see the distinctions that we now call race, but really it, we all came from Noah. 
the, we can see that we're all of one race because God created all equally in his image. First Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The second way we can see it is that God loves so much that he sent Jesus to give his life to save believers from every tribe and nation, every ethnic group. Revelation 5.10 tells us, by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Second, although God does choose, he doesn't show partiality or favoritism. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. And Acts 10, 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality church, then neither should we. James 2.4 calls out those who discriminate as being judges with evil thoughts. Instead, as Jesus commands, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And don't think of the family next door as your neighbor. Think of your historical enemy as your neighbor. Love them as yourself. Early in history, God chose Noah and his family to repopulate the world. Then he chose Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Jew, Jewish nation of Israel that followed. Everyone outside of Jacob is considered Gentile. Yet God's intent was for Israel to be a kingdom of priests, ministering to the Gentile nations. The Jews were privileged by God, who revealed himself to them and his truth to them. They alone of all the nations had God's insight and laws. But sadly, many of the Jews became proud of their status and despised the Gentiles. Can you hear our story in this? But Jesus came to put an end to all this, Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Church, can you see that all racism, prejudice, and discrimination are affronts to Jesus' work on the cross? Since God is impartial and loves with impartiality, he says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then in Matthew 25, he teaches that whatever we do to the least of his brothers, we do it as unto him. If we treat people with contempt, we are mistreating people created in God's image. We are hurting someone that God loves and for whom Jesus died. In fact, Jesus goes on to warn us in verses 45 and 46. And he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of one of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Racism, seen in prejudice, favoritism, slavery, and other ways, 
has plagued humanity for thousands of years. It has affected every tribe and nation on, the, on every continent. In the light of true justice, no one deserves God's forgiveness, especially not racists. But Jesus, but Jesus, took the full wrath of God's justice against the sin of all those who will call upon him. Jesus is the Savior who alone can heal these scars on mankind. Every other way to soothe the pain of racism is only temporary at best and, and never complete. It's like a Band-Aid when you need surgery. It, it may help, but it's not the final answer. For no one else can heal the root of racism, that is, our guilt before God, our idolatry of self, our, our fear of others, and our shame of failing to be and to do what is right. Jesus alone paid the full debt that justice demands. So now Christ calls all perpetrators of racism, prejudice, and discrimination to repent and receive the cure. Romans 16, 13, 6, 13, I'm sorry. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Part of this cure includes his forgiveness and it's given to all who believe in him. So then it follows in God's wisdom that we too are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. To complete the healing, even the victims of racism, prejudice, and discrimination are called to forgive so that Galatians 3.28 may be completely realized. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I think we can see that the Bible condemns racism. Toss up question number two, what does the Bible say about systemic racism? Where racism is the personal issue, systemic racism, systemic racism means that discrimination based on race is woven into laws, rules or traditions, even if the actual text of those laws makes no reference to race. Many nations have had openly racist laws and legal slavery. Charges of systemic racism claim the system is structured or applied with an unfair or unjust impact on a particular group. The idea of systemic racism implies that racist outcomes can occur even if no individual participating personally holds racist attitudes, and even if no law mentions race. This is a controversial concept, and it's subject to, to much debate and even disagreement. The, the Bible doesn't use the word systemic or, and racism, but it does address injustice and oppression. I believe the fact that, that these things today are being seen as sinful comes from biblical truth seeping into our society. That the world sees this now as sinful is radically contrary to the global culture up until about 200 years ago, when the very first nations for the very first time began to declare slavery to be illegal. That means that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of years where it was not considered illegal. 
I'm glad that systemic racism is now judged as evil because this belief is only natural to Christian teaching. So the right response to the evil of racism can and must follow the wisdom of God, not of man. The biblical truth that all people are image bearers of God, all individually accountable to God, and all subject to the same moral code is foreign to non-Christian perspectives. Galatians 3.28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Prior to the rise of biblical truth, the concepts such as human equality and universal rights were almost non-existent in the world. The natural assumption was that strong, privileged people had a moral authority to do as they pleased with the weak and underprivileged. Sweeping universal judgments were based on sex, race, or social status. These biased assumptions were not just common, they were considered obvious, even universal. This cannot be overstated. What the world now considers as evil was ingrained as normal even in recent times. For instance, consider Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, who proposed abortion to eliminate what she called the unfit race or Charles Darwin, who in his 1871 book, The Descent of Man, tied his belief in white supremacy with his theory of natural selection. He justified violent action, and I quote from his text, from the remotest time, successful tribes have supplanted other tribes. At some period, at some future period, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. I could go on, but let's just say the arc of Darwin's world of evolution does not bend toward justice. But even the growing influence of biblical worldview has not eradicated racism and oppression. Regrettably, notable presidents of our country and government military leaders led poorly in this regard. And even pastors and teachers of biblical truth did not live out what they preached. Even the Southern Baptist Convention and other churches were formed with the goal to preserve and defend slavery. All of our heroes have failed us. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? The Bible claims that Jesus is worthy. True biblical doctrine opposes racial oppression and should, like the sun rising each morning, shed the light needed to expose our acceptance of these sins. Modern cultures blessed by Christian truth over the years take for granted that civil rights and racial equality and freedom are moral imperatives. But these beliefs are not anchored in the evolution of man, but in biblical truth. Scripture obligates Christians to push back against systemic racism not just to not be a racist, but to be an anti-racist. Here's Zechariah 7.10. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. 
Realizing that a law tradition or interpretation of law has an unfair impact on one race must spur our hearts to action. James 4, 17 informs us, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. But this does not mean that every claim of systemic racism should cause the destruction of suspect laws or structures. For Proverbs 29, 8, timely warns us, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Believers should reach out to understand those who believe they have been victimized by racism. And believers should be equally receptive to hear those who feel blindsided by claims that they are perpetuating racism. Blessed are the peacemakers. Toss up question number three. What is the biblical view of white privilege? Well, white privilege is a relatively new label from society. It's applied primarily in Western countries where people identified as white, experience more respect and status than non-white people. White privilege has been considered, as described as an invisible package of unearned assets. One who is born white is assumed to have these privileges regardless of any personal skill or action or accomplishment. Some deny that white privilege is real, countering that if it does seem real, it's only due to the wealth and power that Western countries have amassed over the centuries. But it certainly cannot be denied that even in many cultures, those with lighter skin are often viewed and admired more favorably than those with darker skin. Why is this? Why is this? Let's look at James 2, 1 through 4. Can you find the privilege at work in this passage? It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Can you find the privilege at work? Before God, there is no distinction in one's value based on their ethnicity. But back in the New Testament, it was Jewish privilege that had to be addressed. Although the Jews were chosen by God to be a, a people blessed, that blessing was contingent on their conduct and faithfulness. But the Jews were all sinners, just like all the Gentiles. So like the Gentiles, Jews needed God to freely justify them by faith in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 28 said, through 28 says, so in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if you are black, white, Asian, Indian, Latino, all can be united in Christ. All other ways are impossible. Second, the Bible teaches that those who have been blessed with material
material possessions should freely share with those in need and not use their position to take advantage of others. Hear the Lord's word in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. The third point I want to mention here is that those who experience privilege should recognize that they receive many benefits that they did not earn. By God's grace, they were born into a situation that allowed them to have physical needs met and to advance their station in life. The right response is one of thanksgiving and generosity. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Scripture indicates that in this life, some people have advantage over others. Those who have the advantage advantages should not feel guilty about them, but they should use them to meet the needs of those who do not have them. There's no question that Christians in the first world have responsibility to those in the third world to provide physical and spiritual resources. And we see that not only in first to third world comparisons, but within first world comparisons. And God tells us that we will be held accountable for how we use all that he entrusted to us. Luke 12, 48, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Church, the, these questions about racism and and systemic racism and white supremacy, white privilege. You hear so many stories and so many uh, narratives being spoken and there's so many different goals at work. Let's look at what the Bible says and let's let the spirit speak to our hearts. I was raised when the first schools were, were forcibly uh, integrated. I was there the morning the first time that the black high school and the white school came together. Uh, it was not an easy time. No one wanted it to happen, it seemed. The whites didn't want it to happen, then the blacks didn't want it to happen. It was happening. I've seen a lot of these things happen over the years, but I've realized I've never truly come to grips with underlying thinking, even though I've tried in my own eyes to do what I consider the right thing to do. As I've sought for help in my prayers, I, I've, I've found, um, and also not only prayers with God, but also conversations with others about this turmoil. I've, I found some words written by a pastor, Kevin Huang, uh, at Twin City Bible Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And he wrote these a couple of weeks ago. 
to be very helpful. And he calls them balancing principles for, and I'm thinking for thinking and discussion and prayers and action. There's also a very helpful book written by Mark Vogop entitled Weep With Me. It's not yet released. Somehow I got a PDF copy of it and it, um, he's a Baptist pastor uh, in a racial church and he kind of walks through how weeping together, lamenting together, God can use, use it to bring great healing. So here are these principles I wanted to share with you. To grieve and lament over the tragic death of George Floyd and others does not mean that you necessarily affirm a Marxist narrative that you hear or other philosophies. Jesus wept over Lazarus for reasons different and not known by the other people who were mourning. The issue is why and how you grieve. Satan attempts to infiltrate the church and lure her away at points where the world seems to share a common cause. He is both a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He is not only behind this death, but the cunning cultural narrative that exploits his death. I do grieve and I do lament over this death. To, to vehemently, oppose, vehemently oppose the evil of racism is not to automatically agree with worldly philosophies that seem to do the same. There may be biblical reasons to oppose something that the world also opposes while rejecting the reasons why the world opposes it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The third principle, to have a true holy indignation, a true holy indignation is to not let the sun go down on your anger, Ephesians 4.26, to not give the devil an opportunity, Ephesians 4.27, to never pay back evil for evil, Romans 12, 17, and to never take your own revenge, Romans 12, 19. Pride, self-righteousness, and vengeance are the telltale fruits of sinful anger, not righteous anger. You may be angry, you may protest, but do not sin. To peacefully protest, this is the fourth one, to peacefully protest is a civil decision, not a Christian duty. It's a human work, not a gospel work. The right to protest peacefully given by our nation is not the same as the mandate to make disciples given by our Lord Jesus. Social reform is not spiritual reformation, but it can be a bridge to spiritual reformation. And though it's not the same, it's not identical, more Christians should work together to correct racism and improve our society. We can take that from Matthew 22, 21, rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Number five, to call for biblical discernment and understanding in the midst of the turmoil and to refuse blanket acceptance of what the ideas that the culture puts forth is not less compassionate, but more so. God is love. He defines love. And all true love comes from him. Real love rejoices in the truth. Compassion cannot be truly loving if it is not also biblical. 
May we, as James 1, 19 and 20 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to listen to the heart of the marginalized. Number six, to be silent is to not always be complicit and guilty. Jesus was innocent, yet silent before his accusers. To be silent is sometimes to mourn, Lamentations 3. Sometimes to be humble, Ecclesiastes 5. Sometimes to be prayerful, Romans 8. Sometimes to wait on the Lord, Lamentations 3 again. Sometimes to hope, Psalm 62. It is simply bullying to always judge people that their silence is violence. But, and this is a, a big but, there will be a time for you to speak out. And when it do, that time comes, remember Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Number seven, to say that the killing of George Floyd was a grave sin because it took the life of a man made in God's image does not minimize is not to minimize the horrible nature of the crime because you didn't also condemn racial prejudice as the motive. We don't know that racial prejudice was the motive. It could have been absolute carelessness, but it's seen as racial oppression. We call it a grave sin because it took the life of man made in God's image. To call out the biblical nature of an offense is to treat it more seriously, not less seriously. If the biblical reason for condemning sin is not enough, then all truth has been lost. To claim that mankind is one race is not to dismiss real differences between ethnic cultures. Rather, it is to affirm that there remains an essential unity in our humanity, even amid such diversity. Acts 17, 26 tells us, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. True unity is to be reflected in the new body of the church. Ephesians 2, 22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Number nine, to condemn the evil of racism is to specifically condemn the twin biblical sins of personal favoritism and partiality. These things can be based on skin color or social status, profession or political association, ethnicity or income, subculture or style, personal opinion or privilege. Anyone who calls for justice, but anyone who calls for justice can also themselves be guilty of ethnic prejudice against others. To call for biblical justice is to call for God's perfect justice against every form of evil, public or private, societal or personal, popular or unpopular. This means righteous indignation over every sin, including racism and abortion. Pride, <clears throat> theft, bitterness, sexual deviancy, 
idolatry, deceit, malice, coveting, envy, rebellion, slander, selfishness, greed. You can look at James 2 and 1 Corinthians 5 for what is mentioned to us. And we must acknowledge that we too are accountable to these same standards. Number 11, to admit that we do not fully understand someone else's experience does not mean that truth is relative, nor does it say that our role in possible healing cannot be sincere or effective. Just because our position in life is different than others does not make our expression of compassion any less authentic or helpful as long as it comes from a heart that accords with scripture. Jesus alone is our perfect high priest. We point others to him, not to ourselves. For 2 Corinthians 4 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord. Jesus is the one that heals. He is our faithful high priest. He is the one that understands, even when we don't. That's why we have to look to him to guide our actions and for, for his love to flow through us. <clears throat> to point to the future hope of perfect justice is not a trite way of dismissing current issues. The prophets did this, the prophets did this without fail, yet they never minimized their own suffering. Look at Lamentations 3. To admit that we cannot realize perfect justice by ourselves is not to excuse the sins that confront us nor does it relieve us of action to help. Rather, it simply increases our longing for another world, for our hope is a messianic hope where our citizenship truly rests. 13, this is the last one. To remind the church that the gospel is the only real answer to racism is to not simply ignore the obvious social problems that exist in our world and opt for a superficial spiritual solution. It's like when Jesus healed the man who was lowered, lowered through the roof. The Pharisees were watching and Jesus thought it would be easy for them if I said your sins are forgiven. That's easy to say because what's the proof of it? But if I say rise and walk, there's evidently proof right there. And that's what Jesus did. And we have to address the real sin, but we also can ask God to call healing to, to rise and walk. The gospel addresses sin, which lies at the heart of all society's problem. Therefore, addressing sin with the gospel is not a superficial answer. Rather, remember this church, addressing society's problems without the gospel is the superficial answer. May we not be ashamed of the gospel as God's all-sufficient means of salvation for all peoples everywhere. I hope you've heard my heart this morning. And I hope that you take these words to heart and consider your own experience and consider the people that you know. It, it may be, it's great that that we consider ourselves not to be racists. But I, I believe we can see the season, the time is upon us where God's calling for more than just not being something. He wants us to be something. He wants to be people that promote 
the removal of racism. And it's going to be a matter of everyone's heart. Maybe the laws will be the easiest thing to change, but the heart has to be the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. So pray with me. And then I want to ask you a question. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the sin of racism exists in America. We ask you, Lord, to show us how to live as your ambassadors here in this world right now. Show us what must change in us. Lord, forgive us of our sin and for bringing our sin into our world and impacting it with our sin. Lord, help us become a bridge of repentance and forgiveness and right living so the gospel of Christ can solve the problem of racism. Lord Jesus, we look to you for real reconciliation, and may it begin with your church. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. The church, I want to ask you a question. When it comes to discussing the topic of race, what are the immediate fears, concerns, or questions you have? I'm trying to unmute and it's not working. You're, you're unmuted, Carla. I can hear you. Oh, I am. Okay, because it doesn't say that I am on my phone. Um, okay, good. Because I went. I did. I did have a question. I've been. I've been talking a lot about this issue all week with um, with my daughter, and um, I guess I well. First of all, I really, really appreciate you. Um, in this message, Bill, I know um, it, it was really well done, and um, I want to listen to it a second time. <laughs> um, yes, I do. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, at least at least another time. But um, I guess my my question is: is is the church too silent about this? Um, are we are we too quiet about it? And um, I know that I've had some conversations with some young people and um, I wonder about, um, well, I, I talked to, not, I'm not talking about my daughter, but um, I have a young person who has said that um, if, if she doesn't, if she's not vocal about it on, on social media, she's had friend, friends um, unfriend her because she's not being vocal about it and I mean she could be doing a lot on the ground you know and talking to people but if it's not out there in social media uh, people think that you're too quiet so anyway I don't know um, I just I just don't know what you know what the best response should be and how it should be and you know if it should even be I mean there's a lot on social media but I don't know I'm just pondering these things. So that's a question I have. Are we, are we too quiet? There's a, there's a phrase that, that uh, John Piper talks about. Um, he says when he reads books, he always reads a, a live author, a person who's still living, he reads their book but he won't read another book by a, a living author until he reads a book by a dead author, one from another century or several centuries. 
And he says he does that because the 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 winds of 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 sin blow differently in different generations. And I've 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 thought about that a lot. I mean, two hundred years ago was the first Norway, I think, was the first country in 1809 to eliminate, to, to say slavery was illegal. Up until then, it was completely legal. In fact, if you do the, if you do some studies, I've studied this a lot, the number of slaves taken out of Africa over the Indian Ocean to India and, and all of those nations, Saudi Arabia, even as far as China, greatly outnumber the slaves taken westward or to Europe on the west side of Africa. If you look at, look at, look at the Vikings, look at, look at any place that, where there's a recorded history, you'll look at the Bible. Egypt put Israel in slavery for 400 years. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And Roger did a great job, uh, maybe uh, several months ago, uh, talking about the difference between um, indentured service where you owed a financial obligation versus man stealing. Yeah, I was actually like, talking about that yesterday, about that yeah, message. <laughs> that was, it, it's, a, it's a perfect, it's a good word out of the scriptures written thousands of years ago, but the Bible condemns man stealing. Mm -hmm. And so then when you read, for instance, that the Southern Baptist Convention formed in the 1840s to defend slavery, you think, the, the wind was blowing in such a way that they could not see it. We can see it now, just like some of us see that abortion is wrong. Yep. And, and abortion is gonna fall on the wrong side of history one day. You know, so, so here we go. Uh, are, are the churches too quiet? Probably. I think the wind is blowing in such a way now that churches need to make a, a concerted effort to, to promote what the gospel says about these things and to make sure their lives are following suit. And when we have the opportunity to make sure laws are interpreted correctly, I mean, I rejoice that the world thinks that slavery is evil now. Yeah. What could have, what could have caused that except biblical truth seeping in society? Or it could be a strategy of the devil to, to give a little bit here and then take a lot over there. So, I would, I would encourage you, sometimes this, you're being too quiet, and that's why that one of those principles that I mentioned in there, to be silent is not necessarily to be complicit, but there will come a time to speak, I think. Sometimes bullying people for being silent is just that, it's just being a bully. But um, let's seek the Lord and let's respond as the Spirit leads us and let's be open to what he wants to do. I don't know. I hope that's if I, if I jump in for a minute, please. One one of the things that I was thinking of, Carla, to kind of answer your question, uh, I think it it's a yes. The church is 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 too silent. I was thinking back on the abortion issue when when abortion was first legalized, the churches, especially Christian churches, the Protestant churches, were silent. It took. Uh, it was probably 10 years until the church actually started publicly uh, speaking out. I'm sure that some pastors spoke out from the pulpit. So 
preaching wasn't silent, but it took years before the church got organized and actually started doing things like uh, abortion protest and, and started, you know, speaking out as one voice on abortion. So if you look back, the, the church has had some times where they have not moved fast enough. Uh, I think that uh, for here, for uh, on the issue of slavery and how and racism and things like that, the church, uh, a lot of pastors have spoken out from the pulpit for many years against racism and have said a lot of the things that uh, that Bill said this morning. The problem is if you weren't sitting in the church pew hearing them, you, you didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And and I think there is an issue now where where we do as a unified body have to uh, say the things in a public forum on social media that we've been saying from the pulpits for many, many years. It troubles me that there's, as Carla has young people asking her questions and those of us who have young people in our lives or influence within ministry with young people, they need to hear our stories. They need to hear what God has to say because you ask them, where are you getting your information? And they say, Twitter and Reddit as if that is a source of truth. That's right. They need to hear, we need to not be silent when God gives us opportunity in someone's life to present what God has to say about it and to pray with them and to say, yes, this this is awful. And let's see what does God want to do and how can he bring healing? And um, Bill and I had, uh, Carla and I had an opportunity to talk with one of our black friends Um, And she was, I just, she said, you know, her opinion was white people need to repent and black people need to forgive and we need to move on. And so I just think it's so important for us to hear what, what black people have to say. They hear what we have to say and and under a godly head of what does God have to say as, as the source of truth. For me, I hear what you're saying, Bill, and, and I, I certainly agree with it, but I think the problem is that, or for me and so many people, is we need to understand that there's righteousness in every group and there's wickedness in every group. And the problem so often is that we take label one group as always righteous or at least more righteous and the other group is always more wicked and that's the problem when we can't recognize sin and call it what it is because you're afraid of what the other group's going to say when when you recognize everything is racism when sometimes it's just it's wickedness on either side you need, need to be able to call what it is without being afraid to open your mouth because the other person is going to automatically call it racist. Um, I I meet together on Wednesday morning with a small group from BSF and it's about half 
white and half black. And, uh, you know, we, we have this com- commonality that, that we're Christian Right. And we want to we want to do what God says above anything else, and so we we can really talk more freely. But what we have to do sometimes is, even if we have an opinion, we just have to be quiet for a minute and give the other person a chance to say what he needs to say, mm-hmm. without jumping in and having an opinion before we fully listen to the other person. Because sometimes what he has to say we just have not considered very deeply before. Yeah. And we certainly haven't experienced it to the same degree that they have. Yeah. Um, uh, from, from college onward, all through the army and business and, and, and now in BSF, I'm around a number of black people, not to the extent that I'm around white people, but more so than a lot of people, I guess. And, um, you get a different perspective when you spend time with people. You you see them for, as a person, and not through racial eyes. And um, we we just need to be able to distinguish wickedness from from righteousness and call it what it is, and and pray that other people will do the same thing. And to the extent that we say it, but really don't recognize it. In myself or anyone else, we need to be able to do that too. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. I agree. Um, Let's just not be oblivious to the elephant in the room. Um, Let's go out of our way. I remember one time Sherry encouraged us she says, okay, so when you, what's the one thing we can do? And she said, well, you can, every time you can see a black person, look at them in the eyes and smile. If you're doing a business transaction, shake their hand and smile at them. And it, it maybe it won't change the world tomorrow. Maybe there's other things God will have us do that will change the world tomorrow. Um, I guess I've just been awakened to the pain. I've heard so many stories now of, the, um, what do they call it? The DWB story that fathers have to give their children driving while black because they get pulled over by the cops who are looking for suspects and they match the profile, which was black. And you just think, okay, so if, if that, that's never happened to me once. But you hear story after story after story of, of reputable people who are saying this has happened to them and it's happened to their children and they try to teach their, their kids to be respectful and to be honest. And, and, and fortunately, maybe we don't hear more stories about encounters that went wrong. But, but church, what, what would God have us do or be that we can help see this end or get better. Maybe end is too aggressive a statement, but um, I love our country. I've been to other countries. I'd rather live here if possible. Uh, we have, we're, we're so open as a nation. We discuss things, we talk about them. They're in the public view. And I think a lot of times when we, we put our sins on the table 
everybody tends to think, oh, look how sinful America is. But a lot of other countries, they would never put the sin on the table to begin with. And so they're all hidden and they're, they're hiding away. But I think Jesus has more for us. I think he has more for us to bring healing. And hopefully you've been encouraged in some way. I know Roger has a message in a couple of weeks. Maybe not, maybe not the same line, Roger, but uh, I know it was, it was going to talk about race or something like that, right? Um, so the, the conversation has now made its way to Gateway. And let's uh, see how God would, would give us direction. I remember one time I went to a um, Raleigh concert of prayer. And, and honestly, it's, it's a great thing. There are many, many, many black churches attending. Maybe more, ma maybe more than half are black churches. And so there's a lot of time to pray together. And so the group that I was praying with was a few white people and some black people. And the, the leader said, well, let this not be the last time you get together. Why don't you get together for dinner sometime? And so it took a while to make that arrangement. We finally did. We went to, to dinner with this man and woman and we talked about things and uh, our lives could not have been more different. Our experiences in life could not have been more different. But there he was, a child of God, and, and I'm one with Christ with him. Um, if you have those opportunities, take advantage of them. I don't know, anything else anybody would like to share? This is Carol Dennis. Uh, something that I've just done a couple times, the Lord's led me to when I've driven up like at Burger King to check out. And um, one time it was a black gentleman that waited on me and one time it was a black lady. And I just said to them, um, have y'all ever had anything racially done against you? And, and they both, both of them said no. And I just said, well, my prayer is that you never do have anything happen you know I don't believe in that and I do believe that we're all one and they just appreciated me you know addressing that with them yeah so I was just going by what the Lord was leading me to do at that moment yeah yeah you know as Julie mentioned uh, repentance and forgiveness they are the tools <laughs> there's there's they are the tools for human-to-human -human relationship, repentance and forgiveness. That's where it starts. Um, anything else anyone wants to share? I'd like to encourage us to, to do that, what Sherry said. I'm sorry. Yeah. But um, we have precious black neighbors, and we've reached out to them since this incident. And um, the wife came over, and after we reached out and just shared our grief with what's going on, and she said she wanted to have like a coffee time on the porch, so she came over, and she and I sat out on the front porch, and she just shared about um, her life growing up as a black person in the South and 
um, actually had a son die in a police chase situation. So I just sat cried on my porch while she shared. And um, I definitely wanted to see um, us awakened to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who have different experiences. And even as we, Wayne and I have been taking walks during COVID time, and we come across a lot of different nationalities and stuff, we just purpose to say hi to all of them. And I like that idea of look them in the eye and say hi. And sometimes, you know, you, you come across um, a black person maybe that will look down or you think that they hate you because you're white or whatever, but we always say hi. And then sometimes when we circle back around, they'll look right at us and smile and say hi back the second time around. And we realize that we're, you know, God calls us to break down barriers and to be instruments of love and peace. And so even though it's difficult at times, I've seen how what Sherry's saying is really true, that that's a small thing we can do, but it's really, it's, it's melting this piece of unforgiveness in their hearts and maybe in ours as well in different ways. Yeah. Thank you, Jill. So before we conclude this time of, uh, of consideration, Jill, I want to ask you to pray over this topic for us, would you? Um, anybody else along these lines before we have Jill pray? Those of you from other nations, um, Insert the, um, the categories of your own homeland. Um, it's everywhere. Okay, Jill, why don't you lead us in prayer? Lord God, I, I thank you who, for you, who you are and that you create us all equal, Lord, that you love all races and mankind and you call us to do likewise. I pray that you would, as our church, Gateway Christian Fellowship, that you would make us instruments of reconciliation, that you would first start in each one of our hearts and help us to see where our heart really is, Lord, and help us to be willing to um, be more Christ-like, to walk in ways that may be uncomfortable, Lord. Just to look at others first, Lord God, and to prefer others, Lord, and to want to see others succeed. I thank you for this group of fellow believers, Lord, and the love that we share. And I pray that you would do mighty things in and through us in this time, that we would not miss this opportunity, just like we miss the abortion opportunity as a Christian nation, Lord. I pray that we would not miss this opportunity to see all races um, equally treated, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the sermon today, Lord God, and I pray your blessing on Bill for his honesty, and I just pray that you would continue this conversation amongst us and that we would 
together purpose to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our nation. We lift up our nation to you, Lord. There's such a need, such a need, Lord. We need you in this nation. Lord. We need to see your changes and your, and your glory reign in this nation. And we trust you. We trust that you're in control and that you have a good plan, Lord. And I pray that we would follow after that. Thank you, Jill. And Jason, thank you for the, the songs this morning that um, really helped me prepare. <laughs> thank you. Um, earlier, there was mentioned a, um, Carol mentioned sending a letter to her church that she was changing churches and, and the elders did receive a, a, an email from Susan that uh, she has decided that she was going to become a part of uh, Keith's fellowship and that she would um, still love to, to gather with us and do mountain trips and Christmas banquets and those sorts of things. But she also mentioned that Aunt Jane would still like to um, fellowship together with us and that if um, once we start meeting again, that, that Susan would try to make sure Aunt Jane is here. So. Uh, bear that in mind for, for Susan and Keith as they launch into ministry really together. And, um, and let's give God thanks for them. That said, Mary, anything you want to share with us? Um, yes, there, there are several things through your message. I, um, one of the things that I was thinking about, one of my dear friends in graduate school um, was black and I mean, I've had many friends over the years that are that are different skin color, not just black, but from all different tribes and all different nations. But this particular girl, um, she and I would talk about race and what was it like to be black and what was it like to be white, because none of us know. I mean, it's like some of my dear friends live in various parts of the world and we don't know until we start talking. And um, what, what my friend Debbie and I concluded was that we all have the same color blood. And she and I particularly had the same color blood because it was the blood of Jesus. And um, there are many fears and concerns these days and so many political issues and agendas get mixed in with the whole of the, the process of dealing with some of the real problems and it's so easy to focus on the immediate, and it's so easy to focus on the um, the things that are that are the spinoffs of uh, of the issue. And um, so, for those of us who have the the color blood that came from Jesus, it does behoove us to seek Him, continue to love Him, and continue to love as we have opportunity. I couldn't help but think, Jill, while you were sharing, you have a sister from Africa. And what, what gave you your sister from Africa 
and I don't know how many years that y'all have been, she's been in your family. How many years? So I was like 15 years old. So okay, so a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what made them sisters was love and the blood of Jesus. And that that is my hope, whether somebody, regardless of whatever color, whatever continent they come from, whatever um, tribe or tongue, um, is that, that we really do move and speak um, with, the, with the love of Jesus and the authority that he gives us and the opportunities that he gives us. And I, I think we are so privileged in Gateway to have people from around the world and to be able to love um, with the love of Jesus and be loved by. I'm looking at the face right now of Magda and Galena, and I'm sure there are other faces. They come from different tribes and tongues. And, um, and we love you. We, we love you deeply, no matter what color skin we have, um, that, that we keep the love of Jesus in mind. And with that said, I um, know that we have several couples that are associated with our fellowship that we love deeply. And um, they have anniversaries tomorrow. And that would be Sandy and Jack Hastings. I don't know if Sandy's on the call or not, but they are celebrating their first anniversary tomorrow. And Betty and Daryl Walden are celebrating their anniversary tomorrow. Um, I don't have the number of that anniversary, but they're celebrating nonetheless. Um, then this week, Josh Durham and Irene, um, Irene and Tony, Irene from Taiwan, that Josh and Irene have birthdays on Friday. And then we have an opportunity to continue praying and seeking the Lord and finding his heart and wisdom on Wednesday night when we come together on Zoom for a prayer meeting. And the reminder, if you don't get a reminder, is that it's still the same um, Zoom information, right, Bill, that, that we right. have. Um, so hopefully you'll get a reminder, but I think Bill and Julie are going to be out of town maybe for a few days. So will they get a reminder? I hope so. <laughs> Roger. Roger. Roger's going to send it out. Sure, I'll send out a reminder. <laughs> if I remember. If you remember, and then next uh, next Sunday, Greg is going to be sharing, and um, so I think those are all the announcements. Other than y'all should be in the mountains at least today. It's beautiful. Oh, good, good. I think y'all are coming to the mountains. We are tomorrow. Coming tomorrow. It's so good to see everybody. It's good to see you, Anastasia and Brandon. It's nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, at least virtually because we're going to mom and dad's house for lunch so okay can we all come huh can we all come <laughs> i wish that would be great your mom is muted yeah pat if you're talking to us you're muted oops there you go mom <laughs> I was going to say we can have, pray for a multiplication and that should work. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Anyway, so I just want to say hi. I'm glad y'all got to meet Brandon. Good. Good. Uh, 
Hopefully you. you'll get to meet him again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to see all of you. Any anybody else needs to share something? Bill, I I was gonna say something about the the Southern Baptist. Yep. Okay. History is a crazy complicated thing. And even back then, way well, you know, slavery for some time, but just after the Revolutionary War, you know, the the Southern Baptists were formed around 1818 in in the North. Uh, I guess I should just call it the Baptist. Uh, but they quickly grew to the South. And even early on, the Southern churches were complaining that they were being uh, neglected by the North. They they weren't being sent uh, sufficient missionaries. And so these complaints had gone on and gone on. And what eventually happened was a Southern Baptist asked for a certain man to be appointed as a missionary. And this man just happened to be a slave owner. And so the churches in the Northern Baptist refused to appoint him as a missionary. And that's really the straw that broke the camel's back. So it wasn't just that they split over slavery. They really split over the appointment of missionaries to the South because they were being uh, underserved. Uh, and, and of course, e even the diversity, the, the differences between the people in the North and the South that we even know now, I think were even greater back then. And, and so it was really over the appointment of that uh, missionary that uh, uh, kind of lit the fire that, that caused the division. Thank you for that insight, Roger. That's helpful. And it just reminds me even more that um, Christ is the, is the solution. He, he, he breaks down the barriers when, when nothing else will. I remember my, my visit to New York for a year and the people that I met, it just confirmed all my fears that I'd had as a Southern boy and yet exposed me to Christian love that I didn't think was possible at the time. Um, Jesus is the answer for the world today. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I have one other message and I'd just like you to pray for my mom, the place where she lives, Abbotswood. They have several COVID-19 um, cases there, two of the people who are residents and one of the people who works there and so they've tightened everything down again and no visitors and don't come out of your room. So, um, which I agree with, but it's, that's, that's really hard on them. So um, um, we're praying that she stays well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pray for your mom, Julie. I know that's hard. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I'm sure, um, Y'all, uh, I'm assuming everybody saw the email from Wendy about uh, Gail's uh, husband, Larry, uh, passing away, so. That's so quick. That was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you might know Phil Hinton. He's in the hospital um, with a serious lung infection, but it's not COVID. Um, so it's, but it is a, he's been on a ventilator and it sounds very COVID-like, but it, apparently it's, he's had three tests and all of them have been negative. Um, and also um, Rachel and Alex will be moving down in a few weeks. They, uh, they found an apartment and put in an application 
well, it's like a duplex. So they'll be moving down um, in a few weeks. There you go, Carl. In, in Durham. Yep. Oh, oh, Durham. Yeah. I have just a, a comment that I'd like to make. And I don't know where it fits. I, it's sort of unprocessed. Maybe you can help me with this, Bill. If I understand correctly, we currently, across the world, have more people in slavery today than ever before. And it strikes me as so interesting that there was more and more momentum building of making people aware of that, trying to rescue people from slavery, uh, raising money to deal with it. And yet, I haven't seen anything about it recently as there's been all this racial unrest. And it, it just strikes me as so sad that a, a group that cuts across racial lines that is in slavery, I, I just wonder if there's even a tactic of the enemy to distract from such a very serious and significant issue. You may, you may be onto something there, Pat. I, I, the last numbers I saw was 40, 40 million. And that the last nation to, actually it comes in stages, the last nation to outlaw slavery, uh, they actually, they start with the outlawing slave trading. Um, and that was a country in Africa in 1981 on the Northwest coast. But then after they outlawed trading, then slavery is still legal for the slaves you own until they figure out a way to release slaves. And yeah, you're right. There, there had been a, a momentum building and that seemed to be sidetracked with this other, you know, injustice, the world is rampant within things that are unjust, right? And uh, as Christians, we're called to, to, to face up to all of them. And so we have limited time and resource. So we really need God to, to direct our steps. I mean, I agree, and not be bullied into something that, you know, I mean, it could be anything. It could be anything. But, but the, Satan is a liar and a murderer and a thief, and he has been from the beginning. Um, can I say something about that? Please. I, um, I support IJM, the International Justice Mission. And they sent an email a few weeks ago about large rescues in India, like they had not seen before. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people were rescued from brick kilns and garment factories and quarries. And it was actually, I mean, there's a lot of heartache and pain and terrible things happening. This one was very encouraging to see that even in the midst of this difficult time all over the world, there was some good news about these thousands of people in India who were freed. Wow. So yes, we must pray for this across the world, but we should also rejoice in each one of these people who's now um, freed from their slavery. Thank you for sharing that, Jessica. That is an encouraging word. Thank you. Yeah. Some, somewhat of a, uh, I guess I would almost say it's almost discouraging though, but in, uh, Pat, to uh, kind of back up what you're saying, it's interesting that as far as international crime, you have drug trafficking, arms trafficking, and then the third is human trafficking. Mm -hmm. 
So, so human trafficking is the third most uh, item on that's traded as far as international crime is concerned. We need the Lord's help. Let's offer ourselves to his, in his service. Amen. And it's going to be one, one life at a time, one heart at a time, unless you have organized things like Jessica mentioned, where you have a, but even then you're, you're freeing them from bondage, but have the next step is for them to receive Christ. Right. Amen. Yeah. Well, God loves his church, no matter where they are found. And he has, he has blessed us with the knowledge of who he is and our future in him. And he's, he's, a, he's, he's anointed us and proclaimed us to be ambassadors for him. And the ambassador goes into every land and brings a message from their king. And that's, that's our role and to live in a way that honors our king. Um, praise be to God. He, he sees Jill's neighbor and he, he knows these people that Jessica mentioned and he, he knows every one of our issues. He, he knows what's before us and his answers, his word is sufficient to, to train us if we will hearken to it and have ears to hear it. So it's good to see all of you this morning. Hi Magda, it's good to see you. Lydia, in St. Petersburg. It's good to see your name up there again. Slava, Betty, happy anniversary, Betty. Christina, it's good to see you. And Lynn, I think is still with us from England. Yeah. Sunlock, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, there's Christina. Hey, Lydia. Okay, folks. God bless you all. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. God bless you.